Well, good morning. Thank you for being here today. This afternoon, a 21-year-old uh, guy, I mean, first of all, just 21 is amazing, but Jordan Spieth, 21-year-old young man, will be seeking that coveted green jacket. Uh, he's going into the final round, 16 under par, which I believe is a record. There's a couple other guys in chase of the green jacket as well, Justin Rose, Phil Mickelson, among a few that are still in pursuit of the green jacket. Now, first of all, I do not understand why the green jacket is so coveted. I bought mine at Belk's. They're pretty easy to find. But a jacket isn't the only thing that they are pursuing, of course. Besides the trophy, besides the fame and the recognition, they're also pursuing something else that's green. A lot of money. A lot and a lot of money. Did you know that if Justin Spieth or whoever wins today, whoever wins the Masters, first place prize for the Masters is $1,600,000 or $620,000 for first place. Now, if you were to take that, that amount of money in $1 bills, it would stagger you at how big of a pile of money $1,620,000 is. So today, we're going to talk about two masters. You see, your money more than anything else will compete for your heart for God. That's the thing I want to teach you throughout this message and throughout this series, that your money more than anything else will compete for your heart for God. Now, I want you to know that this is a series for everyone. You know, sometimes you preach a series like, well, I don't know if they'll get anything out of this, or, or maybe it's more for this group or whatever. It's kind of hard to always preach something that everybody is going to get something out of. But, but this is, I believe, one of those series that could benefit, benefit everybody in every age group. If you are, uh, for example, just a, a middle schooler or a high schooler, uh, you need to learn how to view money the right way at a very early age. And so it's good that you're here for this series. If you're a college student and you got 57 cents in the bank, then this is a good series for you to learn about the value of money. If, if you're young married or young single, you're just starting out, just moving into that apartment or just moving into that house and just trying to buy all of these things that you want and that you need, this is a good reminder about money. Uh, if you're a single mom or a single dad, and you're struggling to pay the bills, this is a great time to hear what God says about two masters and about money. Uh, if you're middle-aged and you're trying to put kids through college and you wish you had saved more and spent less, then this will be a good timely reminder for you as well about money. Uh, if you're a senior adult and you're enjoying retirement and trying to maintain your lifestyle on a limited income, you too will benefit from this series about money. See, the principles we're going to look at in this message and in this series are, are practical advice from God's Word. And we all need that because all of us, all of us, use, spend, need, and sometimes struggle with money. More than likely today, somewhere, you're going to open your wallet or your purse. Or if not today, by tomorrow, you'll be somewhere and you'll open your wallet or your purse, or you're going to sit down and you're going to write out some checks and, and send them to pay bills. We, we all have to have money. We all use money. But it's important that we learn how to handle money in the right way. In fact, it's so important that we learn how to handle money the right way. Did you know that that is addressed in both 
the Old and the New Testament. In both the Old and New Testament, it warns us about uh, what money can do and how to handle it property. And did you know that learning how to handle your money is so important, it is so vital, that the Bible says that it can have a long-term negative impact on your walk with God? We'll look at one of those verses in a little bit. The principle about money is so universal that Jesus spoke about it in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus knew it was for everybody, that everybody needed to learn how to handle money because we all at one, day, at one time or another handle money, right? We all handle money, so we all have to learn how to handle money. So he talked about that. Matthew chapter 6, would you open God's Word? Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. Faint, most famous sermon that Jesus ever spoke, and by far the most famous sermon anyone ever spoke. And one of the things that are central in that sermon is the issue of money. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to just look at one verse, but in order to get the context, we're going to begin reading in verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Hey, what, why don't you stand in honor of God's word, and let's, let's honor him and his word as we read, as you follow along as I read, beginning in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Thank you. Would you be seated? Have you ever noticed, or at least in some translations, like the NIV and the message, have you ever noticed that the word money is capitalized in that verse? Just like the word God? Now again, it depends on your translation. But in my translation, the NIV, the word money is capitalized, capital M, just like the word God is capitalized. Now why is that? Why would it be that the translators in some of the translations capitalized the word money? I believe it's because we all have the tendency to give money that kind of prominence in our lives. Money and the pursuit of it has the potential to take such a prominent place in our lives that it can become like God to us. No one ever saw the dangers of money more clearly than Jesus. And he said, and we'll read it again in verse 24, no one can serve how many masters? Two masters. Thus the title of the series. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus knew what we sometimes don't know. Jesus knew that the number one competitor for our hearts is our money. Now there's a word that I want you to underline in this, in this text And it's a word that we're going to try to stick to for a few minutes and and 
dig into it a little bit. It's the word both. It's a key word in the verse. Word both. No one can serve two masters, he said. And at the end of the verse, he put it this way. You cannot serve both, capital G-O-D, and capital M-O-N-E-Y. You cannot serve both God and money. But, oh, we try, don't we? We try so hard to do both. Now, some of you have seen and heard and been introduced to our dog named Ginger. Ginger is, is a pain in the neck, but she's ours. She's our pain in the neck. Uh, Ginger, probably, if you've got a dog, maybe your dog does this. If I'm not careful, if I leave these laying around, Ginger will find it. And Ginger loves to find socks, and they become her treasure. And then she walks around the house for about 10, 15 minutes, trying to find a place to bury it. And she worries herself to death because it's hard to bury a sock in a house. And she, and she, sometimes I've seen her rub her nose raw trying to bury it, you know, in the carpet or wherever. She's got problems, I'm telling you. The dog has, has some issues. But when Ginger finds the sock, when, it, when she finds her treasure, she holds on to it. I'm going to tell you something, you're not getting it back. If you try to get it back, here's what she does. She will show her teeth, holding on, clenching the sock, and she goes, that's her sign like, don't you dare be reaching for my sock. I found, though, that there is one way to get a sock from Ginger. And that is to hold up a chewy stick. Ginger, you want a chewy stick? Now, at that moment, you can see the little things happening in her eyes. She, in that moment, she's trying to process, how can I get both? In that moment, Ginger is conflicted because she does not want to turn loose of this, but she sure wants this. And she's trying to figure out how to get both. But Ginger, even with her little dog mind, has learned, in order to have one, I have to let go of one. In order to have this one, I have to let go of that one. You cannot have both the sock and the chewy stick. Ginger's learned an important lesson. You've got to choose. And so do you. You've got to choose. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. Now, in case you think that somehow you are the exception, that somehow you've got it figured out, that somehow you're managing both quite well, let me refer to you to the first two words of verse 24. The first two words of verse 24 are no one. Everybody say no one. No one. You know what Jesus was indicating to you and me today? You're not the exception to this. You do not have the capacity to somehow work things out and somehow have two masters. Jesus said no one can do that. And he explains why in verse 24 as well. He says this is the reason you, no one can have two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now that sounds pretty strong. But Jesus is simply saying, you can't love both. You can't serve 
both. You have to choose. So choose wisely. And we all have those moments when, when we have to decide. We all have those moments when we have to choose. We all have those moments sometimes when we are perhaps conflicted and we have to choose. Everybody watch this. You have to choose God or money. God or money. Now, the situation may be totally different. You frame the question any way you want to frame it. Maybe it's the whole issue of God calling you into ministry and it's God or money. God or or money, or, or maybe you're, you're trying to wrestle with the concept of tithing, and it comes down to this question, God or money? God or money? And you can frame it a hundred different ways, lots of different questions, but you're, con- you're confronted with that many times. Will it be God, or will it be money? You've got to decide. Which one will have prominence in your life? Jesus said it won't be both. Now, notice the word masters in this verse. Masters in this verse means it's referring to someone who is in control. Something or someone that has control over you. And the very fact that money is mentioned in the same sentence as God is showing the amazing power that money has in our lives. The amazing potential that money has to take control. And it can and will control any of us. Now, we all know I don't have my watch, so I have to look at my phone. We all know that why God deserves to be in control, right? God deserves to be in control because he's, he's God. God deserves to be in control because he's creator, he's redeemer, he's savior. I mean, it's easy to make a case for God to be in control. That's not a big question for us. But money... Why does money have that kind of influence in our lives? Why does money have that kind of control in our lives? Maybe it's because when we have it, we don't need anything or anyone anymore. When we have money, guess who is in control? Yeah, you're in control. If you've got money... You're in control. The more money you have, the more control you think you have, right? That's why some very rich people, not you guys, but some very rich people are very, very snobbish. Because they think they control everything. Because they have so much money. So how do you know if God or money is really in control of your life? Which one occupies more of your thoughts, your time, your efforts? Which one do you think about more? Which one do you work on more? Which one do you have the tendency to let go of first? Which one do you have the tendency to let go of first? Which one do you have the tendency to obey first? Here's an important principle. The more money that you have, the harder it is to let go of it. The more money that you have, the harder it is to let go of it. I can illustrate that from my own personal life. About two weeks ago, I was on the way to Anderson, and I stopped at at a convenience store, and as I pulled up to the side of the convenience store, I noticed this old beaten-up truck. Not the one I was driving, but another one. And and I saw this old beaten-up truck, and there was this guy in it, and, and I just walked into the store, and uh, got my Pepsi, and I came back out, and, and he was now standing there beside my car, 
uh, and, and he said, hey, uh, do you have a couple of bucks I could have? I need some gas. I was in a hurry. I, I didn't have time to debate whether or not he was going to spend this on beer or does he really need gas. You know, I didn't have time to say, hey, let me see your gas hand. Or, you know, I, I just didn't have time to go through all that. So he was asking for $2. Do you have a couple of bucks I could have? So I gave him $2. Now, had he said, do you have a couple hundred dollars I could have? I would have been a whole lot more reluctant to give it to him. Not to mention the fact I didn't have it to give to him. But if I did have it to him, if he said, do you have a couple of hundred dollars, I probably would not have given it to him. Do you have a couple thousand dollars? I know I wouldn't have given it to him. Why? Because the more you have, the harder it is to let go. I didn't find it hard to let go of two dollars. You need two dollars? Okay, here it is. I didn't find it hard to let go of two dollars. But you'd find it a lot harder probably to let go of two hundred or two thousand. You see, the more you have, the harder it is to let go. And the more you have, the more it may have you. Didn't say it did, but it may. Jesus talked once about the struggle to let go of our money. It's in Matthew chapter 19. Go same book, just go to chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, you know this story. I I probably have talked about it recently, but let's look at it again, perhaps with fresh eyes. We're just really going to look at a couple of verses. Let me set the stage by looking at verse 16. Now, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus, he and Jesus have this communication about obeying the commandments, and he says, I've done all of those. And, and then verse 21, Jesus said, if, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. And in another translation, or I'm sorry, another version, uh, it was, I believe it was in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, he said, go sell everything that you have. Go sell everything that you have, give it away, and then come follow me. In verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had, what does it say? You know what it really says? Because... He had a capital M, God. He had great wealth. He had a God in his life. And he couldn't let go of it. And then, this is what I want you to see. Verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples. Jesus used this as a teaching moment. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is it so hard for a rich man to get into heaven? Because the more you have, the harder it is to let go of what you have. The more you have, the harder it is to let God be God in your life. The more it is... The more you have, the easier it is to trust what you have instead of trusting God. The more you have, the easier it is to let M, capital M, become what you turn to, what you trust in, what you hold on to. As you get richer, your dependency on God gets smaller. Do you hear that? Now, I'm not saying everybody... But for, in general, as you get richer, your dependency on God gets smaller. 
Now, I've seen some very generous people. I know some very generous people. I've experienced generosity from some very generous people, even within this church. But, in general, the principle is true. The principle is, as you get richer, your dependency on God gets smaller. You see, the truth is, in the hard times, you had to depend on God because that's all you had. But in the good times, when you got money in the bank and all that you need and more, you don't need God like you used to need Him. You don't have to depend on God like you used to depend on Him because you have all of your needs met. Who needs God when you've got that pile of money in the bank? Now, I'm not saying that's true, but that's the way a lot of people approach life. The more you have, the harder it is to let go of what you have, and the more you have, the more it begins to have you. That's why Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, this whole concept is carried all the way through the, the Bible. Let me just show you one other verse in, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. Here's the warning. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Jesus tried to warn us. Love of money, or, or, or Paul's trying to warn us. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You cannot serve both God and money. You have to choose. And sometimes, Paul said, sometimes when you're faced with a choice, they choose money. Capital M. They choose money. Now, let's go down to verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world. He said, well, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not rich. Can I remind you something I told you of a couple, two or three years ago? You're rich compared to most of the people in the world. Listen, go with me to Uganda. Walk through these villages and see these mud huts. They have no electricity. They have very little food. They have no clean water to drink. They don't wear shoes. Watch a little boy, African boy, picking insects out of his foot where it's infected because he doesn't own a pair of shoes. And then you dare tell me you're not rich. You got a, you got a, a house. You got electricity. You've got water at a faucet. You've got shoes for your feet. You've got more than one set of clothes to wear. You are rich. So he says, verse 17, Command those who are rich in this present world, that's us, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in what? In wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God which richly provides with everything for our enjoyment. I want to tell you a story. I've got seven minutes. I want to tell you a story. It won't take that long. It's a true story. It's found in the Scripture. And if you wanted to look at it, or if you're you're taking notes, you can write down the reference. It's in Acts chapter 4 and in Acts chapter 5. Let me tell you this story. In Acts chapter 4, there was a great need in the New Testament church, lots of people were doing without. The saints is what they were called. They were doing without. And so 
Some of the people in the New Testament church said, I want to help meet that need, but I don't have any money. But one thing I do have is land. And so the need was so great, their money was so little that they said, here's what we're going to do. I'll sell my land and I'll give the proceeds to help meet the needs of the people. And so they sold their land. And the Bible says, and they laid it at the feet of the apostles, which which means they were saying, here, I give you control of it. Take it, use it to meet the needs of the people in in the church. And the end of chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, it says there was a man named Barnabas, whose name means encouragement. He saw the need in the church. He took a plot of land that he had. He sold it, and the Bible says, and he laid the money at the feet of the apostles. That was Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 5, we read about a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. They apparently watched what was happening as the people came to bring the money and lay it at the feet of the apostles. And I'm sure... They noticed the admiration. Did you see what Barnabas just gave? I heard he sold his land to give him money. He is such a good man. He is such a godly man. He is such a generous man. And, and as they watch the appreciation and all the things they're doing, you know, Ananias, this is, this is me reading between the lines, Ananias turned to Sapphira and said, we got land. You want to sell it? You want to give it away? You want to try to meet the needs of, the, of this? Okay. And, and so they went and sold the land. Now watch this. Watch, the, the, watch this. Watch this. When he got the money in his hands, I don't know what he sold it for. Let's, let's, just, say, let's just say it was $20,000 in today's money. When he got the $20,000 in his hand from selling the land, he was on his way to church. And he, he, he showed it to Sapphira, and, and they looked at one another and said, man, that sure is a lot of money. Yeah, it is. That's going to meet a lot of needs. Yeah, yeah, it's going to meet a lot of needs. Yeah, that sure is a lot of money, though, isn't it? And by the time they got to the church, instead of taking that 20000 and laying it at the feet of the apostles, I don't know how much they kept, but they decided to keep some for themselves. We'll say they decided to keep 5000 for themselves. So they kept 5000 for the sales and said, we don't need to tell anybody. They don't know we got 20000 for the land. We're going to lay 15000 there. Let, let's just pretend, okay, all right. So they agree, and they lay. Ananias takes it first. He takes it, and he lays it down. And Peter looks at him and says, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? Why? Again, shorter translation. Why did you allow money to become so much of a God in your life? that you would sell your land and then you would keep part of it and act like you gave it all. That's the power of money. It's the power of capital M, money. And the Bible says that God struck him dead at that moment. They drug him out of church. About three hours later, his wife comes looking for him. They ask, she didn't know what had happened and they, and they didn't have cell phones back then, you know? So, so his wife comes looking for him and, and about... Three hours later, she finds, she goes to the church, and, and they say, well, before we tell you where he is, let, let me ask you a question. Did you sell the land to bring the money and give it to help meet? Yeah, that's what we did. Did you sell it for such and such a price? And without hesitation, she lied too. She said, yeah, that's what we sold it for. She dropped dead right then too. And the Bible says that great fear gripped the church. Can you understand that? Great fear gripped the church. Why did God kill those people? 
I think it was for this reason. Though I can't explain it all to you, I think it was for this reason. God, and this was at the early days of the New Testament church, as the New Testament church was just forming, God was wanting to clearly define, you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot. You cannot. He will not allow you to serve both God and money. You have to choose, don't you? You have to choose. And, and you'll have to choose this week. You'll have to choose next week. There'll be opportunities, there'll be situations, and, and all of a sudden you have to decide, God, money, God, money, God, money. Which, which, which is it going to be? The one you choose is the one that's God in your life. Let that sink in. The one you choose is the one that's God in your life. Now let's pray about that. You know, I told you the story of Ananias and Sapphira, not to scare you, not to say, hey, you better watch out, uh, but to say this. God takes this seriously. God takes this seriously because God knows the potential it has to mess up your life. Money has the potential to mess up your life. Remember I read in 1 Timothy, some, because they are pursuing money, have erred from the faith. They've walked away from that close relationship with God because they started pursuing money. So I don't know what, maybe you today, your response is simply, God, I need to make you first in my life again. I I, I just want you to know that if I come to a point today, this week, next week, if I come to a point where I have to choose you or money, God, I'm choosing you. God, I want to obey you more than I obey money. I, I want to pursue you more than I pursue money. However, God, frames that for you. I pray that you'll decide it's God. I cannot have two masters. My only master will be God. And I pray that, Father, that we will each have that that heart desire. That we will each make that deliberate and practical decision that our only master will be God. And it's in the name of Jesus that I ask that.